Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hello, 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 digital agency owners, podcast listeners. Welcome back to the Digital Agency Show. We have a really awesome program for you today. Kai Davis is joining us. Uh, Kai Davis has a few different brands, including but not limited to Double Your Audience uh, and Double Your E-commerce, as well as his own named brand, uh, KaiDavis.com. And Kai is a highly regarded author and educator for independent consultants and freelancers. He's an author, speaker, coach, consultant who helps freelancers and consultants and agency owners uncover hidden profits in their business. And he's got all sorts of different ways that he does that. We're going to be talking specifically about several of them today, and we are very excited to have him on our program. Kai, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be on. So uh, why did you get your start in in this business and helping uh, freelancers and agency owners um, you know, grow their business and find those hidden profits? So the short answer is I've always loved teaching. I've always loved educating, and I've always loved working as a consultant and uh, educator. And so I just found myself moving more and more towards a spot where I'm helping teach freelancers and consultants how to get more clients. I started out independent about six years ago now, and I'd been freelancing on the side for another four years before that. So it really was just an evolution from practicing sort of the craft of business and the craft of freelancing and consulting and growing and learning and teaching along the way and realizing, oh, wow, the lessons I'm learning, the, the knowledge I'm absorbing... I could process it, distribute it, teach more people with it, help them grow their businesses. And it just sort of was a natural evolution from focusing purely on my business to helping others focus on growing their business. How much of, of what you do? I know you've got uh, a lot of different irons in the fire. I know I've seen uh, double your e-commerce, double your audience, um, kind of as your your agency or service model. Are you still actively doing client delivery or is a lot of what you do has now shifted over to just specifically helping freelancers? Great question. I'm still actively doing client delivery. Uh, I'm the principal behind WR Commerce, which focuses on helping Shopify store owners get more traffic, and WR Audience, which focuses on helping bootstrap founders and software company owners get more press and publicity for their company. So I handle strategy and some of the delivery for both of those. But I also, under the Kai Davis brand, offer coaching and consulting and educational training products for freelancers and consultants. So uh, one of the core beliefs I have as I create more training products, as I work more on coaching and training is I need to have some skin in the game. I always want to have uh, some consultancy, be it independent or not, be it agency or not, running. So I'm able to take the ideas that I come up with in the lab and test them in the wild and then say, hey, you know what? This worked, but it worked in a surprising way. Or, you know, we thought this would work and it did not work at all. So I see a lot of value in staying active in delivery and staying active in strategy for my agencies and consulting, and then taking those lessons learned and moving them over to the teaching side and saying, well, this is what we tried. This is what we learned. And this is what I recommend and work best for me. And you know, maybe it might not work for you, but we've at least tested it and tried it and seen that, hey, for these situations, it does indeed help get more clients. 
Was there a time as a, a freelancer when you, when you were first starting out and you weren't necessarily teaching others yet, was there a time that you realized that you needed to learn how to uh, learn some methods to getting more clients? Like, was there a point where you were like, you know, I don't have enough clients or my business is not working for me and I need to figure this out? Oh, desperately. I, I can think of one particular incident. I was, I had quit my day job and lucked into a large contract with a local startup. And it essentially became like a full-time employment contractor role. Uh, one of those blurry lines where they had said, hey, we're buying up all your time for the next six months. And I said, that's wonderful. I enjoy money. And as that relationship progressed, it went well. But there was one day when I was talking with the chief marketing officer of the company and I said, hey, I'd love a testimonial or a case study to feature on my website just to explain how I've helped your business grow. And the CMO sat there for a couple seconds and said, you know what? You're one of the most valuable members of the team. I couldn't imagine us achieving these objectives without you. And I can't figure out how to exactly describe what you do. And at that moment, I realized two things. One, I had very poor positioning if my primary client couldn't really, in a uh, <laughs> quick bullet point word form, say, hey, Kai is valuable because of A, B, and C. And then I realized, well, hey, if they're not able to describe that, and I don't have anybody in the pipeline right now, what happens if that worst case scenario comes and funding doesn't come through, or they go with a cheaper vendor or something? Like, sure, I'm valuable now, but will, it, will I be valuable in six months from now? And I realized I needed to invest in my own education, books, training courses, coaching, conferences, one-on-one -on -one calls with mentors, just to better understand the landscape of how to get clients, what's working now, what worked in the past, what, what, what might be working in the future. What I discovered is a lot of the lessons that work well right now actually are 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. If we dive back into books like Breakthrough Advertising, or if we start reading direct response letters, if we start studying how agencies in the past acquired clients, a lot of these lessons are really uh, still very relevant to this day. So I've devoted a lot of my time to better understanding how people would acquire clients or promote their business or promote their agency in the past and say, well, are these lessons still relevant today? And this is where one of my businesses, WR Audience, a digital outreach, outreach marketing, public relations firm came from, realizing that I could translate the concept of, well, hey, press outreach to a new medium of podcasts. And the business is, I think, three and a half years old now and very, very successful. And it came from just studying these older concepts and saying, well, how could I update this for the 21st century? What would make sense for this market? I want to jump back to something you said, which I think is a great nugget for our listeners about investing in yourself, that you realized you had a gap in understanding and in who you were and where your business was at. Maybe you felt a little bit stuck and were unsure as to how to proceed. And maybe just instinctually, you were like, I need to invest in myself. I need to take these courses. I need to, to, to learn this stuff from people that are active practitioners or have spent you know years or decades mastering uh, these types of concepts. Did you have any fear or uncertainty around that? I'm just talking from experience that we hear from people all the time where they're so resistant to uh, investing in themselves, um, no matter what part of their business it is, or that maybe they've never even done that. They've never taken a course. They've never uh, hired a coach. And there's like so much resistance like uh, around that. Did, it sounds like you just jumped right in. I jumped right in because I had already mentally primed myself with sort of an abundance and an investment mindset. 
uh, switching threads for a second, I promise, dear listener, this will make sense in a moment. I had always been very focused on passive investing. So, hey, every month when the paycheck hits, before I even see the money, take a percentage, put it in my retirement account, put it in my vacation account. So when, let's say, my paycheck came in from the day job, the money was already portioned out to my savings account before it hit the money I could actually spend. So even while I was working as a day job employee, I was saving 50, 100, 150 a month towards education, personal development, professional development, just so when I saw a book on Amazon or I saw a course or I saw something that I said, hey, I think I could learn something from this, I didn't have to have that internal battle over, where's the money going to come from? Oh, I'm taking it from this thing. I won't be able to you know, take my girlfriend out to dinner because I'm spending the money on the course. The money was already budgeted. And so mm. that made it so when I said, hey, I really want to learn more about, let's say, referrals, or I want to learn more about the basic strategies for booking yourself solid, it was as simple as going online, identifying what some resources were in that avenue, let's say uh, Michael Port's fabulous book, Book Yourself Solid, and buying the book. And I didn't have to have that internal debate of where's the money going to come from? Is this going to be a good investment? My personal philosophy is the return on an investment that you get from working with a coach or investing in a book or investing in education is bonkers for your business. It is beyond almost anything else in the market because one small idea can translate into tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue. So by pre-budgeting for my professional development or my education, I removed what I see as one of the major barriers. Oh, where's this money going to come from? I need to figure out my budget first and made it so when I saw a product, a book, a course, whatever it may be, I was able to say, oh, wow, this is perfect. Hey, I don't have enough in the account right now to afford it, but in another three months, I will. So great, I'm just going to continue saving towards that. And once I hit that threshold, I'm going to buy this product. And it allowed me to uh, uh, save towards these investments, just like we save towards a vacation or save towards a down payment for a house. I continually save towards my education. Even to this day, I put $250 every month aside into a special account that's just for educational purchases. So some months I spend it all, some months I don't and just roll it forward and get to the point where I'm like, oh, hey, I have $1,000 in here. Hey, there's a conference coming up I really want to attend. No more question about where the money is going to come from. I've already saved for it. That's that's great. I love and I'm so glad to have, you know, picked up on that and then gotten kind of the the how to of setting money aside. And I think a lot of people conceptually understand investing in um, like an asset like the stock market or uh, bonds or whatever. I mean, that stuff exists. But I feel like a lot of people aren't you know, or a house, right? And they aren't thinking of themselves as maybe their most important and valuable asset, which I think the ROI on yourself is usually more than, you know, you invest a thousand dollars in the stock market, okay, maybe over time it's a seven percent annualized return or whatever. Uh, what I heard from you is, you know, when you invest in yourself in terms of your income potential, you're talking about more things like 200, 400, 500,000 percent returns on that type of investment, which is extremely powerful. And even maybe those situations where you don't get like that crazy investment return, you're still getting, um, you know, probably at least your, your equal ROI. Um, easily, easily. I, I, one way I think about it is if a book is like 10, 15, $20 on Amazon and I get one fact or one idea or one concept I'm able to apply to a client's campaign, the book has paid for itself at that point. It has given me something of value. And so I'm very focused on uh, uh, skill acquisition as I could acquire it. Let's talk a little bit about filling your pipeline, getting more clients. Uh, you mentioned double uh, your audience is essentially taking the PR model and applying it to 
podcasting as a channel and you have uh, at least one or two podcasts of your own, maybe three, I don't know, that you're you're participating in. Uh, but I know from consuming some of your content and hearing some of your talks on stage, you're very much about um, helping people to get placement in uh, on podcasts in the industries or markets that they're working within. Um, why did, and, and also applying some, you know, older school PR methodologies with this approach. Why, why did this jump out for you as being a, a tactic worth pursuing and also building a business around? Great question. So it jumped out to me because I'd always been a fan of podcasts, listening to podcasts. And uh, uh, early on in my career as a consultant, I was invited on a few colleague shows as one of the early guests. Hey, we're launching a show and we need, you know, guest number three. Will you be guest number three? And I said, sure, I'll do you a good buddy thing and show up. And it was my first couple of podcast interviews. And what I discovered was even on these early shows, even with a very raw approach to podcasting with not a lot of uh, uh, knowledge of how to approach it or how to integrate calls, calls to action or how to get the most benefit from it, I still generated a number of leads from these early placements. And it made me think, oh, wow, if this is able to do it sort of in this raw, unrefined form for me and my business, get people reaching out and saying, hey, I just heard you on Podcast X. I would love to work together. Can you help me get more traffic for my Shopify store? Can you help me get on podcasts and promote my product? Can you teach me how to build my business and get more clients? I realized, oh, wow, there's a marketing channel here. And what I discovered is on most podcasts, there's a high bar for quality. Podcast hosts such as yourself want good quality guests, but there's also a challenge of finding those guests. Uh, talking with podcast hosts I know, a number of them have expressed to me that the most challenging part of their job is often filling that pipeline with good quality guests. So I realized we have almost an imbalance in the market here. We have a demand from the podcast hosts for high quality guests. We have a demand from the audience for high quality guests. And so if we show up prepared with pitches, uh, with you know credibility behind us, social proof, hey, I've been on four podcasts before, I know how the game is done you're able to more easily get in front of that audience. And I connected that to a second thought, sort of this idea of uh, uh, presenting to your local chamber of commerce. And I had this hypothetical in my mind where you present to your local chamber of commerce, maybe there's 100 people in the audience and it goes great, you get a couple leads. And the next week they call you again and say, hey, we'd love you to come back again. And you say, well, but I just presented to the same audience last week. Why would I present a second time? And they say, well, no, we actually found 100 new people. And I realized that applies almost directly to the podcast model, where if you guest on 10 different podcasts, there's going to be some overlap in the listenership for sure, but it's also going to be presenting to mostly a unique audience each time. And so by approaching podcasts as a marketing channel, it can become a low barrier way to reach a larger portion of your target market, present them with information about yourself, teach them something new, teach them how to solve a problem they're experiencing, educate them. And at the end, the people who listen and say, oh, wow, I really enjoyed that. I want to learn a little more. They'll be the ones who raise their hands, follow your call to action, go to your site, sign up for your email list and convert into subscribers or prospects or customers down the line. And I saw this funnel before me and I realized, oh, wow, there really is an opportunity here for my own business, for clients' businesses and to teach people through my book, Podcast Outreach, on how to use podcasts as a marketing channel for their business. And I've been fortunate enough that Podcast Outreach and Podcast Guest Placement has helped me grow two separate businesses to over six figures in annual recurring revenue. And it very much strikes me as for the right business, being a solid channel to evaluate for marketing outreach or marketing at large. So I want to dig into that a little bit. 
let's say I just heard Kai talk about this and I'm like, wow, I'm not doing any guest podcast outreach. And, uh, maybe I realize that this could be a channel for me because I don't like being on video or maybe I don't like speaking on stages or maybe I don't like going to, uh, meetups and I'm a, a little bit more introverted or, or whatever it is. Or maybe you just say, Hey, look, I just need more clients and I need, I need the next best tactic for this. Uh, and, and obviously you have your, your, your content platform that probably goes into extreme depth on how to do this step by step, but give me some of the high level things. Like what could I do after listening to this episode in terms of maybe building a list of possible podcasts? What are some of the do's and don'ts that might, uh, help me at least take a swing at this immediately after listening to this show? Great, great question. So the first thing, and it's it's almost a trip on one of my other podcasts, Make Money Online, that I start with this. But the first thing is honestly positioning. You need to understand your target market and you need to understand how you specialize, how you help that target market. And what I discovered is if we aren't able to answer that target market question, we're really just playing darts in the dark. It's hard to know what type of podcasts to reach out to, what markets are we trying to reach, what pitches do we need. So first and foremost, you need to understand what target market you're looking to reach. From there, doing a, uh, I think of this as exploratory research. Hey, if you go on Google and just search that target market plus podcast, how many results come up? If we search for that keyword or that target market in the iTunes podcast store, how many different podcasts come up? I've worked with a couple of clients where we start exploratory research and discover there are literally no podcasts about this topic <laughs> or about this industry. And I say, okay, so we need to slightly pivot our game plan here to help get you more press and publicity. I've worked with other clients where you discovered, okay, there's 150 different podcasts out there that reach your target market that are all active. Let's just start approaching them and moving forward. So step one, identify your target market, who you're looking to reach. Step two, validate through exploratory research. Are there podcasts out there that reach this target market? If there are, that's wonderful. Start building a list and we'll get to that next. If there aren't, start expanding your scope a little bit. See if there's other influencers who are guesting on podcasts and sort of follow them around online and see what podcasts they appear on. But using either of these tactics, you could start to build a list of podcasts that reach that target market. So let's say I have my list now. I have a few podcasts that I'm looking at uh, being on, um, and I have you know found an email address or contact information for these these hosts. Uh, do I just now say, hey, you know, Kai, you've got this podcast. I should be on it. Uh, I help you know agencies grow online, right? I mean, now I have my positioning statement. I have my my audience. Um, I mean, I we run a podcast, and I get emails like that all the time, and mm-hmm. most of them get archived. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, but I have a special I, Gmail address, a bad outreach at gmail.com set up. And I just have all my friends send me the bad outreach emails they get. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, and I've also been on a lot of shows and I'm not even sure if I'm doing the outright outreach correctly. Um, but you know, usually I do it more of a networking first, get to know people. And you know, if it makes sense for us to do something like a podcast, then we go there, you know, and, and, and put that on the table. What are some of those, those bad outreach? don'ts that you see that maybe you can give some folks guidance on to avoid so they don't end up in your bad outreach folder? Absolutely. So one of the major don'ts that I see, one of the major mistakes I see people make in this type of outreach is they focus on themselves too much rather than focusing on the host or the host's audience. 
And the second one is they don't put any thought into what their pitch is and why their pitch is interesting to the host or the host's audience. And I think both of these are very important because at the end of the day, you, you, your job here is make sure your listeners are entertained and educated and learn something new and come back for the next episode. And so if my pitch to you is, hey, I'm great and you should have me on your show, there's really no value there for you. There's no way for you to say, well, why would my audience benefit from this? So I take the track of being very you-focused in my outreach emails. I I coach people on this in my book, Podcast Outreach. I write about this, uh, making sure that when you're writing these outreach emails, you're putting it in the frame of, well, why would this person I'm emailing care? So if I were to reach out to you and pitch you, it would most likely be in the form of, hey, I love your show. Hey, I just listened to it. This is my favorite episode. I'd love to teach your audience something new, like one of these three topics. If this sounds interesting to you as a next step, just reply back. Let me know which topic you think would be the best fit. If one of them, if none of them seem like a fit, that's perfectly fine. We could craft a custom topic just for your audience. But here's, you know, the headline and the two sentence summary of each pitch. Let me know which one you'd like to move forward with. And what I found is by approaching a pitch in this way, it allows the host to have a choice of yeses. It allows the host to see, oh, wow, they understand my audience. They understand what my show is about. And it allows us to move forward and avoid some of those obstacles. Otherwise, you end up with, you know, I reached out and you as the host respond back and you're like, okay, great. So what exactly do you want to talk about? By short-circuiting that process or shortcutting that process and saying, here are some pitches, here's some social proof, keeping the email short, under 600 words, we're able to make it easier for the podcast host to say, oh, wow, this person is in the industry that is relevant to my audience. They are coming to me with two, three, four topics that could be relevant to my audience. I get to pick which topic. I'll pick topic two, and then we'll move forward to confirming a time, confirming more information about the topic, and uh, uh, it works out better in terms of booking. So what I found is by emphasizing that you focus in the email and by making sure you have a clear idea of your pitches. And for pitches, I typically advocate having one pitch draw from your area of expertise, your specialty, what you do as a freelancer or a consultant or an agency owner, a common problem you solve for your clients. Hey, most of our clients, you know, do SEO and they experience these three issues. On the show, we're going to talk about those three issues and how to overcome them. We're talking about a controversial opinion. The industry says A, I say Z. A is completely wrong. By approaching with one pitch from each of those areas, it makes it easy for the host to say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, we'd love to teach our audience about this topic, or, oh, yeah, a ton of our listeners experience this problem, or, oh, we just had somebody saying, A, we'd love to hear the counterpoint or the counter opinion to that. It makes it easier for the host to say, wow, this seems like a good fit for our podcast. So if I had to summarize my philosophy on outreach at sort of a 5,000-foot level, it would be focus first and foremost on building relationships. And through those relationships, focus on making the host job as easy as possible. So when I handle outreach to podcasts for my clients, I'm focused on saying, hey, great, dear podcast host, let me make it as easy as possible for you. Here are some pitches. Here's some social proof. Here's where my get, uh, my client has been before. Here's why there'd be a good, they'd be a good guest. Does this seem like it would be a good fit for your show? If no, that's completely fine. If yes, wonderful. Here's how we can move forward to those next steps. Let's say I get booked on a show. And I'm this is my very, very first time guesting on a podcast. I'm, I'm just imagining 
that that person, right? They've 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 just followed Kai's words of wisdom, and now they're booked on a show, and they feel like this is their moment. This is going to be their 15, 30 minutes in, uh, of fame. They've never, you know, done any kind of PR speaking or outreach. And you know, what are those one or two or three things that I should be thinking about when I actually show up to? Uh, to be on a show. I mean, are there any, I mean, I think as a, as a host myself and having been on many shows, uh, you know, there's always those like moments where like, Oh man, this is getting away from me or, uh, you know, or maybe, um, you know, how do I make it interesting so that people, uh, aren't bored or aren't, um, you know, the host feels like, gosh, this was actually a really, really great show. What's one or two things that I can be thinking about, uh, when I actually get onto that program. As a uh, for guests, what I recommend is before the show, identify three to five major topics. And I typically keep these on an index card next to me when I record an interview, just so I'm able to say, okay, the major talking points I have, the major things I want to mention, or the major uh, uh, milestones I want to hit in this conversation are these points. It makes it easier just to have it written out on a note card beforehand so you aren't rustling through papers or tabbing through things on your computer. And you could say, okay, I know I wanted to mention these two topics, mention the book. Okay, perfect. We've got those. I'd say the second major thing to think about for people that are starting to guest on podcasts or guesting on their first podcast is what your call to action is. And I think this is an often overlooked area of optimization or opportunity. I listen to so many podcast interviews where at the end, the host says something similar to, hey, where could our listeners find out more about you? And I hear responses ranging from, well, you could follow me on Twitter too. You could go to my homepage at, and there's no real call to action or value provided to the listeners. If it was a 20, a 30, or a 60-minute interview, we have listeners who just spent that considerable amount of time listening to this conversation, listening to what the guest has to say. By not having a strong call to action there that tells people exactly where to go, like for example, if you want to learn how to get on podcasts as a guest, you should go to getonpodcast.com and sign up for my free five-day course on how to get on podcasts as a guest expert. If we don't have a strong call to action like that, it's harder for listeners to say, oh, wow, I'm interested in what you have to share. How do I get in touch with you? If we're just saying, follow us on Twitter or, oh, you know, I'm on the interwebs, you can find me around. So I think by focusing on, first and foremost, the talking points you want to make sure you share and then focusing on that call to action where you want to direct people in the interview contextually or at the end of the interview when the host says, hey, where can people find out more about you? it benefits you to understand what those are beforehand. So it's not just a scramble for, ah, you could follow me on Twitter. Am I explaining that well? Yeah, no, I, and I like just keeping it focused on those two main things. Like, what are your three to five main talking points and what is your call to action? Uh, not necessarily, you know, what is your your resume, your uh you know, your, your CV, right. Of your entire life and trying to say, this is my moment to share my entire life story, but having, uh, some very, very specific, uh, talking points and also those, those calls to action. Uh, we probably had a few guests that said, yeah, just check us out online, search for my name, whatever. And which is cool. Cause I think a lot, I mean, so there are some people I think that we've had on our show who are happy to tell their story as an agency, but maybe they're not, you know, podcasting for them is not a a marketing strategy or a you know something that they're using in active PR like we might have just been their their only podcast interview of 2017 which i think there's there's those folks that are very interesting to just get them to tell us you know what they're doing in their business and what's valuable and then i think there's those people that if you're looking at podcasting as a marketing channel in an intentional way to grow your business then you need to do more than just say you know check us out at our website Entirely, entirely. And I think for that first category, people who, let's say, are 
infrequent or rare podcast guests, I always love hearing episodes with them because they're sharing things that you don't often hear. And it's like a peek behind the curtain. I love hearing those one-off episodes when it's somebody who hasn't guested on a podcast for a while. Uh, I love Patrick McKenzie, uh, Calzumius's podcast, uh, Patio 11's podcast, because it's not released that frequently. So every time an episode drops, I'm super, super excited because it's like, ah, I get a peek inside what he's working on. On the flip side, for people who are frequent podcast guests, I think having those talking points prepared ahead of time, what do you want to promote right now? What's important in your business right now? What's coming down the pipeline? And having that strong call to action makes sense because if you're approaching podcasting as a marketing channel to attract subscribers, attract potential clients, attract prospects, it's important to know, well, I want to talk about these major points and I want to have this specific call to action to move people into this flow or this funnel. But again, if you're that occasional podcast guest, I'd say focus on just the three to five talking points. A softer call to action is fine, especially if you aren't mentally slotting podcasting into, say, a business development channel or a marketing channel. It's a, hey, this is a cool thing I got to do this year. That's awesome. That's wonderful. I think you'll still benefit from taking a few minutes ahead of the interview and thinking about the three to five major points you want to cover. But the call to action part, it's useful, but not necessary if it's not your key marketing channel. So I've been on a podcast. I had my 30 minutes of first fame. I feel all giddy. I'm going to have this thing out there in the world. It's going to have tens of thousands of downloads or maybe 500 downloads or somewhere in between. Uh, what can I do now to uh, make the most out of that? What I like doing is first and foremost, reaching out to the podcast host and asking who their ideal guest is. And I do that because I'm very focused on connecting anybody who I know in my network with that podcast host, just because my network, my network is going to tap into people who aren't necessarily part of that host's network. I think you and I were introduced by uh, Philip Morgan, if I remember correctly, for this interview. And yep. similar to that, I'm always focused on saying, well, hey, who is your ideal guest? Who would you love to have on here? Let's see if I could connect you with them. And what I find from that is, it naturally leads to a long-term focused relationship where referrals naturally pass back and forth. I refer two or three people your way. You say, oh, hey, I have a friend who's starting a podcast or is searching for a guest on a topic. Would you be a good fit? And so we have a very nice virtuous cycle where we're connecting people we know with podcasts, we're connecting the podcast with people. And through that, we're generating these podcast referrals with each other. And I think first and foremost, that really is a key aspect of the relationship-focused uh, angle I take to outreach and just a good way to approach the relationships with the podcast hosts by providing potential guests, by sending this information over, you make it easier for them to do their job. And so it's easier when you come back around and say, well, hey, you know, we recorded an interview nine months ago. I have a new product or a new thing I'd love to talk about. Would you be interested in working together again? If you prefer two, three, four potential guests over, there's a higher probability that the podcast host would say, yes, we'd love to have you on. So again, I think it all comes down to maintaining that relationship, investing in that relationship, just like you would any friendship or any colleague connection you have, follow up, touch base, share information, send over referrals when they occur, and make sure you're stimulating that relationship however you can. You know, the relationship that you have with that host doesn't stop with that very, very first podcast. And I, and I feel like if you're new to this as a way to grow your business, you might not be thinking that far ahead of, well, will this matter for me in nine months? Whereas you're already creating some reciprocity right off that initial interview. You've already been able to provide them value. They're obviously providing you value by getting you exposed to their audience, but you're keeping that reciprocity building so that the doors open to come back on that show in 
at some time in the future. Do you, you said nine months as a an example? Is there a sweet spot for how often a host will have guests on there? Is there um, any guidance on you know? Is it once a year that you can come back to those hosts? I mean, obviously in certain markets, maybe there's only ten shows, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, yeah. it's hard to make this. Is this a, a, a strategy that can continue to grow for you over, let's say, a three to five year period, or do you just exhaust your list and then that's kind of that? I think it very much can grow, but part of the way it grows is acknowledging the fact that for any specific target market, there is a finite number of podcasts you could appear on. And new podcasts do appear, old podcasts do fall off. So there's always new opportunities to reach out to less established or newer shows. But beyond that, you do definitely reach a point where, okay, we've tapped the market. What do we do now? In those situations with clients and for my own business, I start saying, okay, what are parallel or similar markets or markets that are one step away from my core market that I can now reach out to. So if I was working with, say, uh, uh, an e-commerce store that wanted to get on podcasts to promote their products and we were targeting health podcasts, we might say, okay, we've appeared on all the health podcasts we can. What about beauty podcasts or fashion podcasts? Not directly the same market, but enough of an overlap where we could tap into this new market and have some portion of the listeners respond to the message, respond to the promotion we have. So the strategy I've employed is saying, okay, how can we take this one step larger or one step wider, identify different target markets that have a good amount of overlap of who we're trying to reach, and then qualify and see, are there podcasts that reach those target markets? If they are, wonderful. Let's step forward and start reaching out to those podcasts. But there definitely is a limit to how often you can appear on a singular podcast. What I found is it generally caps out at about two to three times a year. More often than that, it's better to arrange sort of an extended guest relationship. And I've done this a few times on the Clients from Hell podcast, on Gene Portman's podcast, where I was a guest for a six to eight episode arc. And in those cases, it's very exciting because you could go deeper on your background and your information build on that relationship with the host, take it to the next level, share your information with the listeners. The listeners are now exposed to you one, two, three, or even more times. And so it builds a stronger relationship both with that host and with the listeners. But if it's not that type of uh, uh, mini guest host arrangement, I think it really does cap out at two to three times a year, if that many. And so a lot of effort does need to be spent on identifying and qualifying new podcasts to reach out to. I feel better equipped from my own perspective about how to use podcasting and grow my business. I know our listeners, if you guys haven't been thinking about podcast guesting or podcasting for your business, this is probably giving you guys a lot of food for thought. Kai, are you ready for our lightning round? Yes, I am. Let's do it. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Charge more. <laughs> I love it. Two words, two words, charge more. We at you gurus uh, wholeheartedly get behind uh, that advice as well. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'll have to say that actually playing jazz piano has because I started playing jazz piano when I was nine years old and you don't when you start playing a musical instrument, you don't necessarily see the return immediately but you need to develop the habit of doing a thing, having the thing suck and being okay with it. The first time I sit down to play a new piece, it is an abomination. Oh my gosh, it is terrible. But I'm learning and developing the skills. And I think this is sort of a meta lesson that's important in business as a whole and podcasting, whatever way we apply it. 
the first time you do something, it's not going to be perfect. And that's completely okay because it's the first time you did something. So I often draw on that lesson I learned playing jazz piano when I was 10 until I was 21. Hey, when you first sit down to play, when you first sit down to jam on something, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to live up to your aspirations or your perfect ideal. It will get there with repeated practice. And so that element of repeated deliberate practice is what I've applied to my business throughout my entire life. I might not be the greatest or the best or even good at something today, but if I apply myself 20 minutes a day or one hour a week to consistently practicing the skill over a year or two years, I'm going to get dramatically better at it. So there's a way to level up with deliberate intentional practice. It's brilliant. Is there a tool or app that you use that helps you in either your uh, personal or business life that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, honestly, it is. Uh, Less, uh, if I could say their name correctly, <laughs> Let's Freckle. It's a time tracking app by Amy Hoy, uh, uh, available at letsfreckle.com. I don't bill hourly as a consultant or an agency owner or a freelancer, but what I do do is track my time uh, regularly, just so I could see how much time am I actually spending working on my business versus working in my business versus just sitting in my office because it's 2 p.m. and I feel guilty that, oh, hey, I finished my work for the day, but it's not yet 5 p.m. so I can't leave yet. Why am I stuck here? What I found is by tracking my time, seeing where I'm actually spending it on client projects, internal projects, whatever it may be, I have a better understanding of how much actual work I could do in a day. And what I discovered is, hey, I have about four to five hours of good, high-quality work in me in a day. And after having this quantitatively shown to me by tracking my time for three months, I realized, okay, let me optimize my schedule so I'm focused on you know, deep, intentional work for four-ish hours a day. And well, if I complete that work and then I feel mentally burnt out, okay, let me switch context. Let me do something else. Let me give myself permission to step away. But it all comes back to tracking my time and understanding where my time and attention is going. And for that, I use Let's Freckle. Awesome. What book would you recommend and why? Uh, I would recommend either Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes or The Brain Audit by Sean DeSouza. Ultimate Sales Machine is probably the most marked up book I have. I'm a huge fan of uh, flag notes on the side of the page, uh, marginalia, writing in the notes, highlighting, and that book probably has 150 notes in it to myself. It is one of the most valuable books I've ever read. Uh, my pitch for The Brain Audit is I was so absorbed reading it. It's this book about why customers buy and why they don't by the fabulous author and uh, course creator, Sean DeSouza. I was reading it on my Kindle one summer a few years ago, just walking to a park nearby, and I didn't notice there was a parked car about 10 feet in front of me until I walked <laughs> face first into it. <laughs> and so I sit down and I'm like, okay, I'm stunned. And I continue reading the book. It just was such a page turner. It influenced my approach to marketing and communicating with customers and understanding why they do and don't buy so much. It's one of my favorite books. I recommend it to every coaching student I work with. I recommend it to almost everybody I speak with. So I'd say those are two of the books that I'd recommend the most. And here's your time to shine. How can our audience find out more about you? Do you have anything that they can check out uh, for them? Absolutely. Uh, there are two things I'd recommend. The first is if you enjoyed this conversation about podcasts and podcasting and why guesting on podcasts can work as a marketing channel, you could learn more by signing up for my free five-day course on how to get on podcasts at getonpodcasts.com. And I also send out a daily email on freelancing and consulting on how to get more clients without spending more on marketing. And you could sign up for that on my homepage at kydavis.com. 
Fantastic. Kai, this has been an amazing uh, session for the Digital Agency Show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much to the listeners who tuned in for this. I, I appreciate you. Very cool. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Tune in next week. Thanks again. I'm your host, Brent Weaver.